Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Marlon Maul, Jamal Forrest. You can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. On the show today, Chris Russell is joining the Hogshaven Podcast. Uh, we all know who Chris is in the local area. He's covered Washington, uh, the Redskins football team, and now Commanders for over a decade, as far as I can remember. I remember I was in the car with, uh, you know, on the radio. I said on the radio, listening to the radio, driving, and uh, this is before I really got deep into, like, D.C. radio and stuff like that. And, you know, you're just trying to hear sports talk because that's what I am. And, you know, like 7 o'clock on the AM side, I think it was still nine. I think it was nine eighty at the time. I'm not too sure. I don't remember. But you know, seven o'clock, he had an hour of conversation, and I think that was after I got out the gym when I first started driving and things like that. So I'm like, all right, all right, I, you know, I don't know this Chris Russell guy, but <laughs> let's lock in. You know what I'm saying? I finally got some Redskins talk to listen to. So that's around the time I really started paying attention to, to DC radio and things like that from a, from an afternoon drive or evening drive thing. But like I said, as far as I can remember, so I'm sure he probably been around even longer than that. But anyway, Chris came through uh, for a great discussion to get his thoughts on Carson Wentz, Chase Young, Scott Turner, and a few other key storylines looming around the team. So, um, you know, Ron Rivera said also, you know, year three is a big year for him and his staff in Washington. Uh, Chris gave his opinion on that. Uh, on Rivera, you know, and let us know where he stood on what's at stake for Rivera and the Commanders for 2022. Let's get into one administrative item right quick. If you are new or if you just overall, you know, you are a returning subscriber or listener and you found yourself with some spare time today, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. If you aren't, you know, leave us with that rating, leave us with that review. It would be truly appreciated. Um, and like I say, it, it just helps the potentials know that this is a, a podcast that's really worth listening to and, and building up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I see L.A. Sess um, left a review over the weekend. Uh, gave me a good five-star rating, man. Good stuff. Five stars for the simple fact it's not a fanboy pod. Honest evaluation. Much respect, my man. And I appreciate that, Sess, for sure. Um, and, and that's really what I'm striving for over here, man. Honest evaluation. Uh, fanboy, like everybody knows, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the team, but I mean, if you know me and if you know me for some time, I'm a fan of the team, but also like honest evaluation is where I'm at. Like I may be right. I may be wrong in your opinion, (laughs) 
Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't sit here and say that I'm one-sided um, and things like that for good or for bad. Um, and that's kind of what I'm striving to do and I'll, and give my, my breakdown of the players as well and the team overall. So appreciate that, Sess, for the review and the rating as well. Um, before we get into Chris, I'm going to just get through uh, some coaches speak because this is the podcast right before we go out for the Baltimore game. Um, so coaches speak and some, a couple of things I want to see from the game this, this upcoming Sunday or Saturday at 7 PM coaches speak. Uh, and before I get this, because I, I don't want to forget, <laughs> um, after the, uh, the game on Saturday, expect the next podcast to be Tuesday and then after that, uh, I should have one out Wednesday night. I should have three in total this upcoming week, but don't expect immediate post game because this one, as we all know, that third preseason game is going to be essentially like a, a scrimmage. I mean, a glorified scrimmage, you know, a lot of backups, a lot of depth players. Um, and, and essentially, I think that the roster is 90% certain. So there are some things I want to see against the Baltimore Ravens, but ultimately, um, it's not like weeks one and weeks two where you kind of get an understanding of the team overall, unless something major happens. If something major happens, expect the podcast sat- Sunday like we've always been doing the next day. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get back into the coaches speak. As far as we know, this week, Logan Thomas has been back participating in team drills now, um, seven on seven drills. Uh, so that's good to see and understanding like this tight end spot needs a lot of help. Um, so. With Armani Rodgers being around, and obviously they signed two other guys, two other roster members. Let's see who they are. Kendall Blanton and Jake Halsman. So, I mean, Logan Thomas is around, but Armani now has some sneaky competition for himself. And we'll tap into that because that's one of the things I want to see this upcoming Saturday. But Logan Thomas is back. 7-7 drills. I think that's his first time really participating in practice since he's been activated from the pup list. So, uh, Ron Rivera said, you know, that gave him a chance to hopefully see uh, if he'll be ready to go in that first week. You know, we'll see what that means as far as practice tomorrow, meaning today, the day in which we're recording, which is Thursday. We'll have a light workout on Friday, um, do a light workout on Saturday, and Sunday they'll be off. Uh, And we'll come back and we'll do some light work on Monday. Uh, As far as Cam Sims... He mentioned Cam Sims as well and said that he's not expected to play Saturday. Um, Quote, probably not. We did report him early in the week. He has progressed in the protocol, but he also starts to go through the steps. I mean, it is really full week process if it's done properly for the player. That's what we're trying to make sure everything's fine with him. Obviously, Cam Sims is in concussion protocol, so uh, they are taking things lightly with him. And honestly, to this point, with Kelvin Harmon cut, then, you know, he probably locks up a roster spot anyway, uh, which I think he always should have been there in terms of whether he's the fifth or sixth receiver. Uh, the, it always came down to one spot. Like, what would Dax Milne and other guys, Alex Erickson, all these other guys, uh, what would they be doing? So I think this week is going to be all about, in terms of receivers, that's not Cam Sims or Dax Milne. It's going to be all about uh, how can you perform and put that tape out there for other potential spots for other teams to sign you to their active 53? Um, but I do think that there's probably some practice room space for maybe a, a Kyrick McGowan or Mark and Mitchell. 
Those are some younger guys around. So maybe there's some practice squeeze opportunity for these guys. And then lastly, Ron Rivera stated that the starters will play, but will be very limited. And he emphasized the very four times. <laughs> so uh, he expects the starters to play. But it should be noted that uh, to an extent, he kind of alluded to that last year. Um, so why he did say that, that he expects from a very limited space that the starters or limited uh, exposure that the starters can play. Uh, Kevin Sheehan of the Team 980, and uh, he had mentioned that Rivera said this last year. This was his tweet verbatim. This was Rivera's quote last year before the final preseason game against the Ravens when asked if he'll play his starters. Quote, the starters will play what we think they need to play. Um, Now, initially when I read that, I was like, all right, well, clearly he was just BSing to the media. Um, But also at the end of the day, uh, I think that was also a message. Like if you read between the lines even further, he was giving his answer saying, I don't think they need to play anymore. So maybe people took that the wrong way, including myself when I read this one this morning. Maybe he was just saying um, the starters will play in a in a in a snarky way. The starters will play what we think they need to play, and that I don't think they need to play anything. I'm not worried about preseason week three. So this turnaround with Ron alluding to the starters will be playing, but being very limited. Um, that's a different tone than there's a possibly a different tone than what he said last year. So we got to keep that in mind. And with that being said, I think the starters should play. I think the starters do play. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something where you're trying to gauge like to what degree is enough for starters. Like, do you think one drive is enough for the starters? I don't think one drive is enough for the starters. Like that serves no purpose if you're going out there for the starters to put out one drive, one one, maybe even four four play drive. Um, you probably need them out there for, uh, I said anywhere between two to four drives, for both sides of the ball. You get two to four drives for these guys. Um, so you know we'll see. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm I may be wrong in terms of you know his plan and and what they what they're going to do, but I think that's what they should do. <laughs> um, this offseason, this preseason, you know, there's a lot riding on these on this on this thing. And obviously you want to make it to the regular season healthy, but I think one of the important things when people are concerned about injuries is that injuries are gonna happen whether you make it to the regular season or preseason. Just last year, I remember people getting like throwing throwing dirt on the Ravens in a sense because one of their running backs got hurt in preseason week three and they and people, you know, clown the Ravens because they thought it was because they were trying to win. J.K. Dobbins got hurt. But ultimately, you know, injuries happen. And then not only did J.K. Dobbins get hurt during the game, another running back got hurt in practice, like the week or the the practices following the game. So you never know where injuries are going to come from. And I think that's important for everybody to know when you talk about injuries in a preseason game. You're always going to be at risk when you play football. So it doesn't matter when you play. It's all about getting the opportunity and exposure. You can't be scared for injuries. That's just what happens. And in theory, like, I respect the Ravens for how they treat preseason. And uh, clearly, like, their model and their mentality is sustained and it's proven in the regular season. 
Like these guys are ready to play. And I'm not saying playing in the preseason or even week three for Washington will translate to wins because I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that starters playing in the final week translates to wins. But I do, because again, I think that Ron will play his starters. I do think this is a good recognition by Ron to change the approach if they do impl- if they do play. Um, because you need to see some sense of fluidity fluidity um, in the offense finding a way to get in the end zone without making it look so hard. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter if they play against the star if Ra- if the Baltimore Ravens starters play or not. It doesn't matter. Don't make it look so difficult. <laughs> Starting offense, what put up seven points in the preseason? Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it's not concerning, but it's like, all right, bro. I ain't never seen four drives, seven points. I I, I don't know how it can be so difficult for you all, or, or five drives. Excuse me, seven points. But God bless. Like we need to see some type of fluidity. When you get on the plus side of the field, execute, get in that end zone. And who knows, if they do it on the first drive, they may not even have to play all four drives that I assumed, or two to four drives that I assumed. They don't have to do that. Um, defensively, uh, we can get into some things, because I, I have transitioned to you know some things that I want to see out of that Baltimore game, starting with the, the offensive side of the football. Defensively, you know, the Ravens in the regular season is they're pretty much like a run-heavy offense. And um, in the preseason, they've been pretty balanced. I think, you know, they, they're just giving Tyler Huntley, their quarterbacks, Huntley and Anthony Brown opportunities in the air against what the, the Cardinals and the Titans. So for me, defensively, I would just want to see this defensive line winning their one-on-ones. Personally, you know, Daniel Wise has played in full games in the first two preseason games, and I think that's going to continue here, at least in the first half. And I think that's a good thing, too, if he doesn't play the full game here in, in that. And I'll get to it right now, actually. I think there's something in the works here with Daniel. And, you know, he's if he has another good outing as a pass rusher, I think that'll confirm some things for me in terms of the role that he's carved out for this defense. You know, I think that he can be a really good situational pass rusher. And he can fill in for Deron Payne in a lot of situations. So if that comes to fruition... In terms of his role for the offseason, I'm mean, excuse me, his role for the team this season, it can be a really good thing for the interior defensive line and for future seasons as well because uh, you got to think like they might get the confidence to move forward with Big Phil, Fedarian Mathis as their interior run defender, and then Daniel Wise as their interior pass rusher. And that'll ultimately make them much more comfortable to move on from Deron Payne. So you're losing one, but you're gaining two in a sense, um, and then you can keep replenishing through the draft or free agency behind these guys, as well as the edge rushers as well. Um, so I think Daniel Wise, if he has a good outing in the first half, they're going to, I think they'll, they'll see enough if they take him out uh, and understand that his role can be somewhat important for Washington's defense moving forward because they need some help outside. Of, I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it, by the way, <laughs> but they need some help outside of um, Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen. A couple other things before we get to Chris Russell. Uh, regarding the depth spots, I think this will be a big game for a guy who's uh, with Danny Johnson who has, you know, he has tenure here in Washington. So, you know, this is probably something that means a lot for him. Uh, there's a lot of people on this team who can play special teams that they brought onto the roster. And there's other people that can play slot or boundary in terms of a depth spot. So um, if they're relying on Danny Johnson in terms of like being that emergency backup, or that immediate backup, excuse me, 
that is problematic. <laughs> that is problematic. And then back to the edge rushers and, and pass rush overall, I think Shaka Tony would probably need to capitalize off of a game like he had last week, um, but not a layup sack, right? Um, if he can get some pressure on the quarterback and actually finish, that will help. You know, if he didn't get if he didn't get home like last week, which was a layup sack, you know, that was a larger issue. Um, ultimately, you had a guy, Jerron Christian, who was just over a second or nearly a second late off the line of scrimmage after the snap. So that helped Shaka Tony get to the quarterback because he automatically beat Jerron Christian in that second difference. Um, so I would like to see him in a, in a more ideal situation, actually beating his defender and not beating a guy who was late off the snap. Um, and, and he can, if he can prove that he can be a situational rusher or uh, a fill-in when that helmet tap comes on and <laughs> they need some help or need a breather, uh, Shaka may be that guy. He didn't play a lot of snaps last year. I think he played like around 14% of the snaps, even with the injuries. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see what Shaka can do against the Ravens. Um, you know, who looks good at tight end this week? As far as we know, you know, Logan is cleared to play, but I don't think it's I don't think he's going to be in any games no time soon, not until week one, obviously. And, and Ron Rivera confirmed that. So, like I said, Armani has some sneaky competition this week. And we need to see a little bit more out of Armani. And he needs to prove to to the coaching staff, more importantly, that he's worthy of the final 53. Jared Patterson, John Williams, uh, can they make a case to push for four running backs? Who knows? We will see. But I'm sure Jared, if he doesn't make it, will probably end up on that that uh, practice squad, uh, but we'll we'll see. I think that's going to be a battle this upcoming Saturday. Jared Jared Patterson and Jonathan Williams. What positions will need to be monitored after cutdowns across the league after that Tuesday deadline? Uh, I think it's primarily going to be linebacker and edge. Um, but you know, more importantly, looking at into Saturday, will potential depth issues be exposed, or will Ron be comfortable moving forward with the guys that they currently have on the roster? So, I mean, outside of that, like I said, 90% of the roster, I think, is set. So, we don't have to worry about much of anything. And we can just watch everything unfold after, you know, those triple zeros hit. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, With that being said, everybody, up next is a conversation with Chris Russell and myself. I will see you all next week on Tuesday. And joining us right now is the good man, Chris Russell, the Swiss Army Knife of DMV Sports. He's the host of Locked On Commanders. Uh, he has a radio show on the Team 980 and does work for 106.7 The Fan as well. Man, he does it all. Like triple threat guy, man. How you feeling today, Chris? Uh, I, I'm doing good. Always better to be on with you, Jay. I appreciate you having me, and uh, it's good to see you. And, uh, you know, um, I, I mean, I hope I can live up to that billing, man. I, you know, sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like my, you know, like I've got, you know, steam coming out of my ears and my eyes and everything because I can't see straight and because I'm taking on too much. But uh, hopefully, I'll have some sensible answers. Well, look, at the end of the day, the the good thing is when you feel that type of way, it it's it's a bearing on you, but it also knows that you, you know what you're doing is working. <laughs> like you, you got a lot of things going on, but in the same vein, like people want you doing these things. So understand that part. And things are working you, for you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate you. And, and um, again, but, always good. I'm happy for you and, and it's great to uh hook up with you and 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 chat a little bit with you. Uh, you know, you always did, you know, were awesome to me and you know so uh, i'm really happy to have the opportunity to spend some time with you 
Yeah, I'm going to get the last word on this compliment sandwich thing we got going on here. <laughs> but for those who don't know, uh, Chris, is, Chris has done a lot for me. He, he helped me get my, my foot in the door when it comes to Sports Illustrated. I, I had an opportunity to write for them, and the, the year COVID hit. Um, and I had a good good run with them for a few months until, you know, just some things changes. It is what it is. But uh, COVID, killed the, COVID killed us all, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't understand, and uh, I know he gets a bad rap on Twitter from some people. If y'all had a single conversation with Chris, uh, whatever whatever you thought would probably change your mind for the better. Uh, so understand that uh, Chris does a lot of good things for a lot of people. So uh, do not uh, take that for granted um, and, and understand that for those who are listening. Now, no more compliments. Let's get into the Washington <laughs> Commanders talk, man. So as we head into the final week of the NFL preseason, right. uh, for the Commanders, there's been several people out here who's made, excuse me, for the, the fan base and, and even some people in the media as well, there's just been several people who've made declarations based on a couple of preseason games. Uh, right. But for you, Chris, what is like the real, and uh, when it comes to this time of the year, what is the takeaways from preseason? What do you get from preseason? And uh, and generally, as it relates to Washington, what are what are some things that uh, you got from the Washington Commanders so far? Yeah, I, I mean, the way I kind of look at it is, of course, um, there are some concerning things, right? But because you're not game planning, because you're not playing more than a handful of snaps, 20, 20 or so snaps, give or take either way, you know, for the first teamers, the guys that are going to be playing full games, I don't look at it as like, oh, my gosh, the panic meter goes, you know, up to a nine on a scale of one to ten. I look at it as the panic meter should probably be, you know, more towards one, more than ten or or the higher elevations. Um, but to say that I'm not concerned, I, I, I mean, I can't say that. Right. And I think anybody is foolish to think that you shouldn't be concerned. Why? Because there are some disturbing trends. And I know you've broken down the film, uh, you know, as you do a great job of and people should you know, really check out what you're doing uh, on a constant basis, because. I think, you know, it doesn't always tell you everything because we don't know the exact assignments and the exact way it's drawn up, but it can tell you a lot, right? And you still see some maybe miscommunication a little bit of uh, some wide open areas on third and longs, uh, not being able to get off the field on third downs. Again, a consistent ability to do a pretty good job on first and second down, setting yourself up to get off the field and not being able to do it on a consistent basis. I know eventually they made some uh, stops against backups against Carolina and Kansas City. That's not good enough. Mahomes and Baker tore them apart, and we know that was a big problem last year. The other thing that I am still concerned about, I don't know you, I, nobody else seems to be concerned about it. This defense has started terribly in games under Jack Del Rio in terms of like first drive success. Last year, you look back and they allowed seven touchdowns and 10 and 10 opening drives uh, in which teams, the opponents scored points, right? So 10 games, they allowed. At one point, I think it was like five straight, five straight right. games it, it, like that It was like that season. to open up the year. Absolutely. It was like uh, five in a row, uh, four out of five were touchdowns. It did get better in the second half. I think four out of the last five games, they did not allow any points on the first drive. So it did get better. But so far already in the preseason, what have we had? Baker and Carolina moved the football, bing, bang, boom, down the field. If not for a fumbled snap, which was their own mistake, not something Washington caused, they probably score more than a field goal on that drive. Probably. Don't know. And then Patty Mahomes, you know, 12-play, 85-yard drive, whatever it was, boom, 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 and right down the field. And, again, it seems like 
I would think, I would think if this defense was as, as good as they seem to want it to be, or think it should be, or the level of investment in it is, is I would think like the first series of the game, you would come out like gangbusters and be ready to go. And you're at your freshest, your legs aren't dead, all of that stuff. Right. And yet it hasn't been good. And that's a disturbing trend from 2020. Remember Carson Wentz carved them up with the Eagles in Ron and Jack's first game. And then last year was Herbert and the Chargers. And again, you mentioned that streak. And again, it did get better. But so far, there's been some discouraging signs. You know, I would just say one on offense would be like moving the football. And then when it when when it matters, when things get tight and you have to make a play. Exactly. You make a mistake. And, 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 you know, the Sam Cosme, Carson Wentz, Sam Cosme, false start, Carson Wentz sack is exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And um, on the side of the concerns and, and just trying to gauge everything from a coaching staff standpoint, uh, I mean, we know it. The, the coaching staff is in a critical juncture and I'll continue to stay just like everybody else should. Um, you know, Ron claimed year three is a big year for him in, in his football team. Uh, at this point of the season, Sam Mills is already gone, and he didn't even make it to the preseason game, the first preseason game. Uh, what is at stake for the season uh, with this coaching staff? Uh, we don't have to take it to extreme or whatever your your opinion is. It, it is what it is. But what is at stake for this coaching staff uh, in 2022? Um, well, I'd be surprised if Jack Del Rio is here for year four. Um, so I guess that's what's at stake, right, is can somehow they make it through – um, year three with a Jack not getting fired and B that Jack wants to stick around for a year or four, if that's his choice. And I don't know if it'll be his choice or not. Uh, I think there's some frustration on everybody's end and side. And I, that is understandable. Um, so I guess that's, what's at stake on, on, on defense. I don't think Ron is in trouble in any sort of way, unless they're three and, and 14 or four and 13, that type of thing. And Carson was a disaster and it's just a clown show again. And there's 10,000 people, you know, for Sonny Jurgensen's uh, number ceremony uh, in Burgundy and gold and 50,000 Cowboy fans, you know, in early January there. I, I, so I don't think Ron's in trouble in that regard, but where Ron is in trouble, if that's the right word is, like you said, you've pointed to this year, and this is year three is what most coaches point to. Year three is where you've had a chance to funnel everybody out. You've got the quarterback that you say you wanted more than anybody else, and that was clear. They wanted him more than anybody else. Now it's time to do it. I mean, the schedule sets up somewhat favorably to start, um, not only with easier i don't say easy easier based on last year Perception. opponents yeah, right cool. and i think jacksonville and detroit are both better but it sets up that way you got two home games to end the year you know i mean it, you got nine home games compared to seven road games i, I mean I'm, I'm sorry to eight road games like it is time man it is time to get something done seven wins is not good enough I don't know if you have to make the playoffs if you're Rivera, but you have to win nine games minimum. You you can't be eight and nine or seven and ten. Now, as we talk about just the, the performance to this point and just understanding what we know 
uh, through training camp and preseason. Uh, from a player standpoint, who are some guys off the top of your head that, that you think earned a roster spot? And uh, what about some people who you think may have uh, cost them one? Uh, if they not have already been cut to this point, but who are, the, who are those guys who have earned and who's lost a roster spot, in your opinion, after these two uh, games? I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, big picture, if you if you look at guys that were either drafted lower or undrafted, uh, you know, to me, a guy like Christian Holmes, the Oklahoma State seventh round corner, I feel pretty, pretty decent about him being on the on the opening roster. I'd be surprised uh, if that doesn't happen. Um, you know, Derek Forrest is obviously I mean, he was not I don't think in any roster jeopardy, but he's solidified his positioning as more than just a special team stud right as as maybe somebody who can contribute on the back end which is something they never got you know from Troy Apke it's funny if you would have asked me this question you know uh, a day a day ago I would have said you know Kelvin Harmon is a guy that I worry about not and then boom he goes last Tuesday uh you know Pete and I uh, on the radio show we're talking right before the cuts came out I said don't be surprised if Troy Apke and then boom Troy Apke so I don't know if there's like the obvious names that I look around and I I mean clearly they're gonna have to cut people right I mean you you have to go from 81 to 53 I don't know if there's like names that will shock people, but could I see a Jarrett Patterson not making the roster? Yeah, I could see that. Um, could I see them, you know, especially if you consider, you know, maybe a, a Keith Ismael not making the roster, somebody like that. Because here's the thing, if you're going to take four tight ends and 10 offensive linemen and six receivers and three quarter, you got to cut somewhere. You know that, Jay, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you just got to cut somewhere. And, and, and right now I lean more heavily towards keeping more guys on offense, but on defense, they need more help than maybe they need on offense. So, you know, does that skew the numbers back? So, I, I, of course, we'll find out next Tuesday. And I always remind people, that's the initial 53. That's not the final yeah. 53. Let's talk about the guy, Carson Wentz. Um, how have you been able to navigate through the noise of Carson Wentz through this offseason, through training camp, through preseason? Uh, specifically, what have you seen out of him? And what does your gut feel on how he'll be able to produce for Washington this year? It's a loaded question given everything yeah. that we know. But right. uh, how have you been able to navigate through this entire uh, storyline? All right. So, I, I mean, just to be fair for your audience, and I don't know if you know this, I was very anti Carson Wentz before he even came here. I, I mean, I've been a big critic of his, even back to Philadelphia. I never thought he was. Buckle up, everybody. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought he was, you know, I, I always thought he was a little soft. I always thought I had heard some weird things from multiple people, right? Uh, the injuries bother me. You, you know me. I like. Like one of the reasons why I defended Kirk Cousins as fiercely as I did, and maybe I was wrong for doing so, is he's durable. I, I mean, I need my quarterback to be durable. And that's, some, you know, they haven't had durability here. They haven't had consistency here. They haven't had arm strength and, and coordination here. They haven't had just, you know, so I understand why they went out and did what they did, even though I would not have done that. That being said, since he's gotten here, I've tried to warm up to him. I've tried to, well, maybe with these weapons, it might be better. Terry, Jahan Dotson, ultimately, when he was drafted, um, uh, um, uh, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, who, you know, we all thought was going to be the starting running back now is going to be, you know, whatever his role is going to be. Brian Robinson, the tight end, so on and so forth. I, listen, I think, I think this, 
if Carson, if it doesn't work out for Carson Wentz here, it ain't ever going to work out ever again. I mean, you could 2017 me to, to the high heavens. Uh, you know, he's got more weapons here than he had probably combined in Philadelphia and Indianapolis. That's number one. It's got to work out. And work out doesn't mean what, what happened in Indy last year, nine and eight, lose the last two games against, you know, maybe uh, certainly one inferior opponent. Again, the opponent that they yeah. open up the year with, um, that type of thing. It's got to be like if it's nine and eight, it's got to be like not because of him being nine and eight, if that makes sense. It's got to be because the defense and special teams were wretched across the board. It can't be nine and eight, but yeah, you know, you put up some good numbers here, but you didn't play well in this game and that game and this game and that game, and you really cost us again, with two home games to wrap up the year and a easier schedule, right? That being said, I'll, I'll balance all of that with, um, you know, I heard from somebody that is close to people in his camp, and I had noticed this throughout the offseason gradually through OTAs and whatever. He seemed more looser and more fun uh, in and around the huddle and at practices, right? You can't always judge that, but it, it just struck me. Maybe this guy has finally figured it out. And I, I heard from somebody that was close to his camp that said exactly that, that he's basically decided to say, you know what, bleep it. I, I, I'm, I, I can't be this polished, pristine, you know, shapely image. I, I just be one of the guys, have some fun, laugh, kick it up, yuck it up, have, you know, be looser and take some criticism, maybe better. And, and that's what I was heard was was his mentality even as recently as like two weeks ago um so i'll we'll see how it changes in october and november but for right now that's the indication that it's a different carson wentz you brought up some excellent points here you talked about uh circumstances that may be out of his control that can ultimately lead to a uh a, a, a poor season from the from the team standpoint with the defense special teams you talked about his weapons uh, and the fact that, you know, this is arguably one of the best weapons side, like in terms of receivers, running backs, tight ends that he probably had in his entire career. And I think one of the things that also goes unnoticed and that we should, you know, spend some time on is, is the guy, Scott Turner. Um, Scott Turner plays a part in, in his development and his ability to succeed in Washington. And I mean, both obviously for this this year and obviously for the offense, shoulder some responsibility uh in terms of a blame a blame pie uh or maybe a, a contribution crowd or, or credit pie however you want to structure this uh, but but who holds the most weight in your opinion between those two wentz and turner at uh, their respective position like will 2022 be more about how turner's situational play calling and putting guys in, in in the best positions to succeed would that work out or will it be more about uh wentz bouncing back from a tumultuous 2020 in 2021 and him being able to find stability in Washington where where does this where does this work for your head how do you kind of give the percentage of what what works in 2022 yeah I, I mean I know most fans are are first and quickest to blame the coaches right and, and I'm not telling you that this coaching staff is great or hasn't done you know uh, couldn't do things better and what have you and that goes for Ron that goes for Jack Scott um, you know, Nate Katz or everybody, right? I, I mean, obviously Sam Mills got fired, so on and so forth. But I'm just not a blame or give super amounts of credit to the coach. So so that's where I come from uh, on this. Scott Turner can help Carson Wentz. The offense around Carson can help Carson Wentz. 
it's ultimately got to be on Carson Wentz. Carson. And I, I, to me, I, I just look, you know, if you want, you know, a, a pie, like think about it of a pizza pie, right, of, of responsibility. To me, the quarterback is always going to have, you know, five or six slices of the eight in a pie. He's just going to, right? And then Scott Turner is going to have his maybe – piece and maybe the other weapons are going to have you know a combined piece and and maybe there's another piece left over right but Carson especially Carson when you're as gifted as he is height arm strength still some mobility experience everything that you you know firmly rooted like you're not out late night partying and and whatever you're not 22 years old everything to me Jeff points to Carson Wentz being the reason why they make the playoffs, the reason why they win nine or 10 games or the reason why they don't. Now, again, that that's not to say that quarterbacks always win and lose games by themselves. Of course that doesn't happen. Of course others are responsible and others contribute. And of course they have to do their job too. But I'm just saying if all things are relatively normal, Terry McLaurin doesn't blow up his knee in week one. Uh, you know, Jahan Dotson plays most of the year. Um, we'll see what happens at running back. And that's obviously an entry, you know, they don't, they're not on center number five by the time we get, you know, to the final couple of games, if everything's relatively normal to me, it's going to be much more about Wentz than Scott Turner. Can Scott Turner help him? Sure. But I don't know how Scott Turner is going to help him in the way that fans are going to want, because I look at him and say, well, okay, his strength is a deep vertical game. And clearly that is going to be a part of the game plan. So maybe fans are going to say, well, they don't take it up deep shots. Well, if you're Scott Turner, right, and you see, hey, you know what? I can't get him into a rhythm with quick game and the shorter passing attack. How do I think he's going to get into a rhythm with a lower risk percentage of going down the field? Maybe maybe you take one shot to open it up, what have you. But, I mean, if he's missing, like we've seen reports of, like I've seen in person, I think you've seen, you know, as well in person – if he's missing guys and it's a Carson issue and not a play call issue or a play design issue or play, you know, it's a play execution issue, then that's where I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people process this all. Because I'll tell you, I'm probably and mostly going to blame it on the quarterback uh, as opposed to the offensive. I mean, I just, and, and I'll give more credit to Carson Wentz too, or whoever the quarterback is based on you're the one playing you're the one playing and processing say a fact is ultimately you can't escape you know production and performance like sometimes there's there's small reasons for why something went wrong but at the end of the day like you said it does come down to the quarterback or whatever position we're we're talking about it comes down to your individual performance um so i i absolutely agree um Outside of Wentz and outside of Terry, you mentioned those two as well in terms of like knock on wood injuries type of situations. But who who are some two players, if you had to give two players, uh, if they had to, because I mean, both units, so I'm going to ask this question about the defense as well. But um, if you if they had to take a leap into the top 16, if not top 10, who are two players at the top of your head that are going to need to contribute significantly to help Washington's offense get that done? All right. So two players on offense. Um, I, I mean, you know, like, like right now I would have to say, Hey, look, if, if, if Brian Robinson is everything that I've seen with my own eyes, everything that the coaches have seen. Uh, and, and, you know, I was, I was touting him not to say, you know, Oh, I knew he would be RB one. I did not think he would be the RB one this quick. 
and neither did they, by the way. So anybody that thinks that this was like some, you know, plan uh, that he would win the starting job in mid-August, no, that was not the plan. Um, but I, I mean, clearly, I I've said from the minute he was drafted, I think he's more than just one, you know, first and second down, three yards in a cloud of dust. I, I've watched him with my own eyes. I've talked to Randy Jordan. I've talked to other offensive coaches. They think that Brian Robinson's got wiggle. They got think he's got burst. They think he's got forward lean. They think he's got toughness. They think he's got natural vision, uh, quickness, not long speed, not that he's probably going to blow you away and run for 70-yard touchdown or anything like that. I mean, I'd be surprised by that. But the, And they also think he's a better receiver out of the backfield than he was given credit for at Alabama and by a lot of the draft pundits. Here's what I would say about the draft pundits. You know what? They're ranking players based on their own measures, their own system, whatever. And that's fine. You can do whatever you want. You're not ranking players based on scheme. You're not ranking players based on what fit and how somebody fits into a, 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 a organization. And that's why Brian Robinson went early. And so far, again, long way to go, so far, Washington has gotten tremendous return on that and, and justification and then some on that pick. So he's one. The other one I would say, because I don't know what Logan Thomas is going to be, I need John Bates to take a big step forward as a pass catcher. I mean, I know he's a good blocker and all that. I know he works his butt off. I know he, he's been hurt, so that is a concern, right? I mean, anytime a guy's missed as much time as he's missed, you know, that is a concern. I think he'll be okay for September the 11th, but you just never know when a re-aggravation is coming. I need John Bates to, you know, be like not maybe a number one, but I need him to be in like that 50-ish catch range and, and and you know maybe four or five touchdowns range, somewhere in that range so that I know if Logan Thomas is not what Logan Thomas was before the torn ACL and before all the other injuries last year, if he's not back to that, I have a guy that I can depend on in the middle of the field on the uh, you know on the on the seams on the hashes um you know uh, when I'm in trouble, that type of thing. And I just like, that's my, you know, that's the guy that I think needs to, I guess, elevate his game another notch. Got a couple more questions here and uh, let's transition to the defense because you had a radio conversation this morning um, that you were involved with today revolving around Chase Young. And I mean, obviously, as we know to this point, he'll miss at least the first four games as a result of being placed on the PUP list. Um, you asked, how do the commanders fairly evaluate where Young is in his career when it comes to a very important decision that they have to make this coming offseason? Right. Uh, now, I get the floor to you. I know you talked about it on the radio. How do you answer that? Uh, what is your your uh, your response or your your answer to the question that you proposed? All right. So, you know, I, I think this is a question that you're going to hear a lot of talk, you know, once the offseason comes. Um, but I, I was told there was a conversation at, uh, you know, at, at – headquarters uh, earlier this week. Uh, but I was thinking about it and that's why I mentioned it to somebody. And that's how I found out that it was a conversation between some people uh, at command central. So here's the deal. Chase Young is going into year three. Like you said, we know he's going to miss the first four. I think it's going to be really tough for him to come back until week seven against green Bay, because, you know, uh, even, I mean, he can't practice 
he would have not played football since November. And then you're asking him in one week, three practices to get ready for Tennessee and Derrick Henry and so on and so forth. And then you've got the short week against Chicago in which they're not even going to practice. Right. So to me, I, I have a hard time seeing him there before week seven against Green Bay. I could be wrong, but I, that's what I think. And if that's the case, he's still going to be on a pitch count, right? If say he comes back week seven, or if he comes back week five, he's still going to be on a pitch count. And is he going to go back to the Chase Young that we saw tearing stuff up in the second half of his rookie year? Or is he going to go to the Chase Young that we saw too much of in the first half of last year, freelancing, not doing exactly what they want him to do, so on and so And I'm not a coach. I'm not trying to play a coach. That's what the coaches have said. We all know that, right? And the lack of production tells you that as well. So here's the question. Next or this coming offseason, regardless of what happens this year, say he's fine, he's okay, but he's not special. When you have to go make that decision right around draft time for the fifth-year option for not next year, but for 2023, the fifth-year option, which is now fully guaranteed if you pick it up, not guaranteed just for injury, fully guaranteed, regardless of whether he works out or not. And if you don't see Chase back like rocket ship style when he comes back this year and and and, and really tells you that the knee is fine and that he's going to be Chase Young and he's going to be disciplined, I don't know how you make that investment if you're the Washington Commanders. And that's why it's a big deal because it's coming next, this upcoming offseason, not the offseason after, meaning going into his fifth year, it's coming up this offseason. They have to make that decision based on, what, eight, nine games of data? And maybe we'll have enough, but maybe we won't. And maybe it'll be inconclusive. And maybe he'll have made some strides, but not enough. Then what do you do? Well, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, but my, my thing with that one is um, the the context would be like, number two overall pick the very first draft pick of the ron rivera era in washington i uh logistically and and financially i, I get it it makes sense what you're saying but from a team standpoint and politics standpoint i don't think they want to i don't think they want to go that route i think they'll say you know what, we're gonna bite the bullet and, and just take this fifth year because we have to we have to make sure that that chase young sticks around he's our number two pick you i mean i mean that's a great counter argument i i mean i can't i can't dispute any of that the question is, is can you play and build an organization and a, and a team that way? I, and and some can and some may not. I, I mean, look, Daniel Jones was a number six overall pick. Now, previous regime, not this regime, but clearly Dable and, and, and Joe Shane in New York didn't feel like like making that commitment was good, was the right move. Again, Chase was chosen by this regime and he was the number two overall pick, and he's had more success than Daniel Jones, I would argue. So it's not apples for apples, but it's it's a decision that is – it used to be a no-brainer, right, because it was kind of guaranteed only for injury, like, you know um, – and people thought, oh, well, well, he won't get injured. Uh, he'll be fine. He'll pass a physical. We'll be able to get out of this. Don't worry. It's smart. Well, now it's guaranteed for skill and injury. So, you know, it, it, 
And, and we're talking probably, I don't know, 13, 14 million dollars, maybe under the cap, somewhere in that range. Maybe it'll be even a little bit more. It probably will be a little bit more with the way, you know, cap numbers and positional rankings, because he'll count, you know, as a defensive and defensive lineman. Uh, and they make more money than, you know, edge or, or, or linebackers or so. Anyway, the, the point of the matter is it, it's it's I understand your point. I get it. That's how it should be, and hopefully this isn't even an argument. Hopefully Chase comes back and blows everybody's, you know, skirt up a little bit here and delivers. But hope, but but if it is an argument, if it is a tough call, that's a really tough decision to make. Um, you know, if you don't have enough clear data that tells you that Chase is all the way back. Now, uh, last one on my side. Uh, you're 100% right with the, the tough decision with Chase Young, but there's also two more decisions that they got to make that's going to be pretty tough. I mean, Cole Holcomb is one, and I, I put him to the side for this conversation, but the other guys are actually on the defensive line of Deron Payne and Montez Sweat. Uh, what do you make of their careers to this point, and, and what does 2022 mean for both of them, two guys that are both uh, entering critical junctures of their own career from a, a personal standpoint? Yeah, like you said, they've got some really tough decisions to make. Now, me personally, unless Deron Payne really, really kicks it into full gear like Jonathan Allen did last year and walks away with eight, nine sacks, which is hard to do as an interior lineman, I don't know if you can go there and pay Deron Payne. But if Montez Sweat regresses, as he seemingly did in the first half of last year, or if he you know, has a significant uh, another significant injury, or if Chase Young again continues to regress, then all of a sudden – you might not feel like you have to pay all of these guys, right? So then maybe you would do invest in Deron Payne as a, a guy who, you know, is, is entering his fifth year. I've always thought, I mean, I've been talking about this for two years. I, I think, you know, we've had this conversation. Now, I'm not the, I'm not the biggest fan of Deron Payne. I, I think he's hot and cold. I think the motor runs a little off and on, but I understand his talent, and I get it. If he puts it all together and if he's consistent, then, you know, you can franchise tag him. You don't have to give him the big, big, big bag of cash, right? You can franchise tag him. And same thing again for Montez Sweat. And you could say the same thing for Chase Young. I mean, at this point, I I don't think any of these guys right now, to maybe Montez, but if we're talking about Montez, Chase, Duran, Cole Holcomb. I'm not. I'm not investing in them the way I invested in Terry McLaurin. I, I, sorry, I'm not. I, there's too many questions and, and too many hey, inconsistencies. I'm about to say, look, they 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 haven't shown much, and that's a conversation I had yesterday with uh with Dre and and AJ on on Trapper Dive was was that you know the the conversation around Montez Sweat because he's just naturally a quiet individual. You know, he, he has gone onto the radar from a performance standpoint, and, and he's going into a big year. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I actually agree with him. And, and I got my thoughts about Duran. I, I think he's hot and cold as well. Uh, but I think he's more so, you know, just better as a as a as a uh, run defender. But, you know, if you're if you're asking for the big bucks, they want to see you do something more than just being able to stop the run. You got to be able to provide something in the pass rush. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I had lunch with the coach that drafted him two weeks ago, and 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 he, you know, he disagrees with the notion that Deron Payne is just a, 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 you know, a run stuffer, which was the book on him coming out of Alabama. That he really thinks he he could be used even better and more, you know, and 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 you know, really get after it. Um, and, and I think I I. I I think so too. I mean, what do you have? Four and a half, five sacks or whatever it was last year. Yeah. I mean, when, when my problem is Duran, not only hot and cold, but you know, remember the playoff game, like he wasn't doing anything against the right guard to start the first quarter and a half. And only when the right guard, I forgot the guy's name, Kappa, I think it was went out and broke his leg or whatever it is. And the backup came in. That's when Duran went to town and, and, and ate some lunch. Right. You know, so again, can you, can you do it consistently and can you do it consistently against the better, the better offensive line and not backups and whatever. And then, you know, real quickly on Montez Sweat, I, out of the group that we just talked about, I feel the best out of, out of him. And I think they do too. Um, it's just, I hope last year was just a combination of just awful luck in a lot of ways and not a regression to the means because we all know, <laughs> see, uh, you need more out of them. Right. But, I'm about um, to say, yeah, she heard that and ran downstairs. Like, I'm sick of this. <laughs> exactly. She's like, come on, sweat. Come on. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like I think that I believe they think that Montez, when he's dialed in might be their, their best, you know, of, of that entire group. That's what I think, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully last year was just bad happenstance. Yeah. Well, we're going to see, I understand where the coaches come from. We're going to see about Duran. I, I got my thoughts. I, I don't, I think he could be better. And, and I agree like, yeah, it's potential there, but ultimately if you ain't showing it, you know I'm saying it ain't much I can do for you, buddy. I can't defend you. Like I, I can defend Montez. Sweat, Cause I see a lot with Montez. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. Montez, Montez is. I mean, I would totally agree. Montez is a better pass rusher and a better player. I, I would totally agree with that. It's just, you know, can you get the best out of both worlds from both of those yeah. guys? And yeah. think about it: if they're if they both elevate their game this year, you might not need to put as much pressure on Chase, and you might be able to make it easier for Jonathan, you know, as well to kind of maybe not draw as much attention in the middle of the line, and the linebackers. Absolutely. So um, we're going to get, get about here with this one. Chris, I definitely appreciate you coming through. I want to make sure after you answer, uh, plug anything and everything that you got going on just quickly, two or three players on the defensive side that you think, uh, like we said on the offense, can, can turn things around for this unit. Who are, who are going to be those two key, two or three key pieces, but also, you know, let the people know where they can find you, uh, yeah. hear from you, read your work, yeah. all that good stuff. I don't know if you still do the Sports Illustrated, uh, the writing stuff, right? Uh, I don't do that, uh, okay. but uh, um, I had to give that up, but I still okay. write uh, for Command Post, which is the old Warpath magazine through Rick Snyder, uh, who, okay. you know, was one of our colleagues. Um, so that's a subscription only for, you know, it's an, uh, uh, you know, it's available American sports media. Uh, so people can check that out. Of course, the team 980 Monday through Friday, 9am to noon, uh, or anytime on the Odyssey app, uh, download, you know, podcasts, all that with Pete Medhurst. Uh, and of course the locked on commanders podcast with David Harrison, uh, as well, which we do five days a week on uh, video and, 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 and of course the audio, like we're doing here. Um, so that's, that's that. Jamin Davis is one answer that I think is clear. And if that's not an you. answer, you know, for, for most, I mean, it has to be number 19 overall pick. You need more production. 
Now, I am not as down on him as others. I'm not saying they're wrong. Yeah, Yeah, I thought he flashed a little bit last year, six or seven times, and I saw the light bulb on there. I don't know if it's – I don't know if he ever, uh, you know, gets to the the level that they were hoping, but I think he'll be a lot better and more consistent this year, number one. And then I need more out of William Jackson the third. I need him to stay healthy. Um, you know, he was a man press corner, but somewhat inconsistent in Cincinnati. They played a you know more zone last year, you know, than he was used to. The communication was bad. He was banged up the second half of the season. A lot of defensive pass interference penalties in the first half. I need him to be a lot better. They paid him a, a good boatload of money. You know, it's not like he's got chopped chicken liver on the other side with Kendall Fuller. And you know, theoretically, the pass rush should be better. It wasn't good enough last year. I think we all know that. That should make his job better. But I need William Jackson III to be what they thought they were getting, you know, which is maybe not a top top of the league corner, but, you know, certainly a top 10 corner. And he was anything but last year. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Russell, uh, the, the, the Swiss Army knife of DMV Sports. Thanks again, uh, Chris, for joining me today. My, my guy, always good to be on with you. Uh, appreciate you having me, and uh, always good to see you, talk, uh, talk some ball with you. You keep it up, uh, and, and our paths will definitely continue to cross.